This is In-Ear Insights, the Trust Insights Podcast. In this week's In-Ear Insights, it is a uh, kind of a tradition to write case studies, particularly at the end of the year. If you've ever worked in an agency, when things get slow, one of the things that folks do is spend some time updating case studies and uh, all kinds of documents. You know, the kind of end of year cleanup, uh, sort of like your Spotify wrapped, but a much less exciting version of it. So we figured this year, as we're uh, we're looking at our own stuff, we'd uh, walk through one of the case studies that we're tidying up and, and preparing and even give some thought to you know, how we might have done it differently. So, Katie, uh, you want to talk through what exactly this thing is? Yeah. So, um, you know, in this context, a case study for us is an opportunity to demonstrate uh, some of the work that we've done with a client. And um, this particular case study is talking through how our service of Google Analytics audit uh, helped one of our clients, in this case, the AAA Club Alliance, to clean up their instance and have better overall data integrity and the ability to do a more accurate attribution. So AAA Club Alliance is a very large enterprise size organization. And so they have a lot of data filtering in and out of their systems. They have a lot of different teams running digital marketing campaigns. And when they started with us, they really didn't have a good sense of what was working. And that was due to how their uh, website tracking system, in this case, Google Analytics was configured. And so that's where we started. And so all of our case studies are broken down into the five P's because what we've realized is that every project touches upon all of these things. And so we started with what the problem was and that it's people, process, platform, and performance. And so in this case, AAA Club Alliance uh, asked us, Trust Insights, to help them clean up their infrastructure so that they could do better attribution. So that's what this case study is all about. Okay. One of the things I think, you know, is important, and this is something that anybody can and should do is in your Google Analytics instance, if you're looking at Google Analytics, look to see what percentage of direct traffic you get. One of the things that Google doesn't make clear about Google Analytics is that when it says something is direct, what it really means is we don't know. Like Google Analytics is saying, I throw my hands in the air. I have no idea what this is. So I'm just going to say it's direct traffic because I don't know how to interpret it. Um, That can come from a variety of things like uh, misconfigured ads. People typing a URL into their browser bar or a bookmark or an email. If you send somebody an email and there's no tracking uh, codes on it, basically it means it's an absence of tracking codes. And so in this case, uh, when we first signed on with them, it was something like what, 70-ish odd percent of their, more than 70% of their traffic was direct, which for your average website, it's it's not a hard and fast rule, but generally if more than 50% of your traffic is direct, there's there's a big problem. Right. It, 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 when you get above 60%, there's a really big problem. When you're above 70%, you probably should stop what you're doing and devote some time to fixing things because at that point, you have no idea what's going on with your website. There's, there's so much data coming in that has no meaning. And the ideal, of course, is for you know, to get direct down to you know 5 or 10% because those probably are people just typing a URL into, into their browser. 
Um, so specifically, 76.7% of their traffic uh, was direct. And that, you know, to your point, Chris, that's a huge issue because as an enterprise size organization who is spending literally hundreds of thousands of dollars on their digital marketing, you kind of want to know what's working. Um, and so that's where we started. And so, you know, one of the first things, Chris, that we do with the Google Analytics audit is you have a list of best practices um, that you always make sure are configured in a Google Analytics system. Do you want to kind of just uh, at a high level walk through what some of those uh, settings should be? Well, we know, for example, that uh, your channel groupings, particularly ones in, in Google Analytics 3, are almost always wrong out of the box, right? They lump things like Facebook traffic into referral traffic, which it isn't. It should be uh, social media traffic. Uh, there's never anything set up for stuff like paid search, paid social. And those are things you definitely want to split out and, and have uh, denoted uh, within the application itself. And then there's a whole bunch of things like uh, making sure that your site isn't referring traffic to itself. Is it counting itself as a referrer? That's you know a pretty easy one. Turning on Google signals, unless you have some regulatory reason not to uh, trying to unify a mobile and desktop traffic is important. If you are on Google Analytics 4, some of the best practices there are you know, setting up conversions properly and conversion events. Which events do you want to designate as conversions? Uh, making sure that you're using the right view, uh, the right uh, uh, settings for your funnel view. Uh, making sure if you are a company that is using the data um, in multiple places that you have BigQuery linking turned on. So there's all these... Um, things, there's probably a list, I would say, of close to 100 different things that some are minor and some are pretty major for the, the best practices just to get a, a Google Analytics account up and running. But actually, that's not the hard part. The hard part then is the governance, which is getting people to do the thing. Um, when you work with a new agency, when you work with a, a new team, when you launch a new campaign, making sure your tracking tags are in place. When your email marketing goes out, that it's got its appropriate tracking tags. Because as we are seeing, with the reduction in the effectiveness of cookies, having those UTM tracking codes in every URL that you put that's not on your website uh, is so important to getting clean data into Google Analytics. And without that, uh, it gets really messy and it, you just lose a lot of data. Even more so, there's other things that within your Google Analytics instance can, can make the data much harder to read. Uh, for example... If you have extraneous query parameters, if you've used HubSpot, for example, HubSpot attaches these little codes to the end of URLs and, and just like Google Analytics does. But Google Analytics knows to take its own codes out. It doesn't know what to do with, say, HubSpot codes or Marketo codes or Salesforce codes. So if you look in your Google Analytics and you sort by your, your most popular pages, you may have a page that has tens of thousands of views, but because each page has its own HubSpot attached unique code, you never see that, right? So knowing, telling Google Analytics, hey, you got to knock these things out is really important to having data that you can use in, in the application. So again, those are more things that uh, you need to do to make Google Analytics work well. So it's, you're hitting on a really important point that I wanted to bring up. So a lot of times when we approach these projects like a Google Analytics audit, uh, the person who's coming to us, the client who's coming to us 
has this idea that the problem is with the platform itself. And that's only partially true. So when we were working with uh, this client, we took a look at their Google Analytics instance and you know we fixed up the things that we needed to fix up as Chris was just describing. But the bigger challenge that we have been working on with them throughout uh, our engagement with them, which has lasted a few years now, is really the people and the process. And that's where the data integrity starts. And so we spent a fair amount of time working with that team to help them put better governance in place. And that combined with a properly set up system is going to give you that combination of really good data integrity. So we trained them on UTM tracking. We gave them rules and spreadsheets to help make sure that there was uh, correct UTM codes going on to things like email um, and their social campaigns. Uh, we made sure that we knew who had access to change settings within the infrastructure itself. Those are sort of the other pieces of the puzzle that a lot of times I don't think get discussed enough because yes, you can set up a system perfectly, but if you still have garbage data coming in, you're still gonna have garbage data going out. And so that's a big part of the work that we did for this particular uh, project is that in order to get a 40% improvement on the data cleanliness, it wasn't enough just to set up the system correctly because the system is only as good as you tell it to be. The people have to be putting in good quality data. So that's an ongoing piece of the project that we're just could, we continually have to revisit every few months of here's what we've noticed, here are the things that we had to fix, here's the re-education on the governance of the data going in. And so that's uh, more of that perpetual thing versus a one-time setting up the system correctly. Exactly. And now, you know, as we look back at this end and look forward, um, we've changed things up a little bit where now those checks are more automated. So this is an example uh, from my personal website of uh, UTM codes. Say like in the last 90 days, where has my traffic been coming from? And I can look at this and, and those bars that are red in here, you don't really need to see the details. You just know that some are blue, some are red. The red ones are ones where like there's a tracking problem. And so being able to, to like you said, continually audit and look for uh, things that maybe don't make sense uh, is something that you have to do. It's, 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 it's like bathing, right? You don't just bathe once, right? You have to do it regularly and frequently to be clean. The same is true of your data. You have to check on it to see, is it clean on a regular and frequent basis? You know, this is another example where we talk about this query parameters. And this is a, the last 180 days from my website. There's, uh, I need to go into my, the second thing down there is the FB clit. I need to go into my own Google Analytics and knock that out to say, I don't stop tracking this, stop, you know, taking this in uh, the unsubscribe uh, query parameter that I use in my newsletter. I need to take that out of Google Analytics as well, so that it's not, again, messing up the data. These are all things that are regular maintenance things that now, you know, as, as we continue to evolve, uh, keep getting better and keep getting more automated and find problems faster, get those problems fixed faster. Because if you don't, then uh, it's kind of like, you know, you steer the car once and then the road changes and you, you don't change. And you, you, next thing you know, you're face first into a tree. Which 
sounds pretty terrible. Um, it is. <laughs> knock on wood, I've not experienced that. But um, so, but I do want to sort of, again, sort of raise another point, Chris, that you've been touching upon is, you know, when you bring on a consulting agency such as Trust Insights or anyone else, if that agency is not giving you a maintenance plan for the work that they've done, then that's a red flag because I have yet to see any kind of project that can live in isolation from start to finish. And then that's it. It's complete. Like, especially when it involves data and planning and your marketing campaigns, like those things are not just like a nice, neat little package. There's ongoing maintenance that has to happen. So if your agency isn't giving you a maintenance plan, whether they're going to execute it or they give you the tools for you to execute it, that's a big red flag. Um, because there's always, especially with this kind of data, there's always maintenance that has to happen. Somebody has to be continually checking, is the data clean? Somebody has to be continually checking, is the team putting the right data into the system? If not, what resources do they need to make sure that they understand the data that they put in is affecting our outcome in terms of our ability to understand what's working? And sometimes the system changes. Like and so, I was some changes. I was in Google Analytics for last week, and they moved the cheese again. It's like, okay, where did this setting go that I was working with last week? Oh, it's not here anymore. It's now moved to this other spot, um, or there's been API changes and stuff. And it, it, those levels of of rapid change in any kind of modern software are inevitable, but they're also painful because we don't really get a choice, right? when we use Google Analytics, especially the free version, we're not paying Google. So they, they literally owe us nothing in terms of uh, you know, what they're going to do, when they're going to do it. They will tell us things out of courtesy, but that's courtesy and, and you have to know where to find it. So a lot can happen. A lot does happen in this data. I was using the Ahrefs SEO software the other day for one of our clients. Um, and to call, uh, this, the code that I had written to process this data um, just stopped working. I'm like, what happened? In the span of two days, literally just everything stopped working. And I went in and looked, oh, they changed some column names in their API. And, and there was a blog post about it. Just they didn't bother to let us know that the blog post was there. Um, <clears throat> and so to your point, Katie, not only um, should an agency have a maintenance plan for the client work it does, but they probably need to have a maintenance plan that they can talk about for their own stuff internally to make sure that they're keeping up on top of things and knowing when things are broken, especially if you've got somebody who's, you know, a traditional B2B, a, a proprietary software and, you know, all the, the wonderful stuff. But yeah, how often do you fix it? One of the things that I saw with mild amusement was um, some of the software that we'd written in our previous life um, for the agency we used to work for, you know, as more and more time went by after our departure, less and less of it worked until finally, you know, the whole thing got retired. It's like, okay, well now trust us. the only company that has that stuff, but it's an ongoing battle against entropy, right? It's, it's again, it's kind of like bathing in proper nutrition. You've got to continually exercise and stay fit and all these things. Mm-hmm to to fend off the forces of entropy and this kind of case study really is about maintenance and when you and 
when you're talking to executives, when you're talking to stakeholders and they say, well, what's the ROI on this? It's like, yeah, what's the ROI on eating? Right? What's the ROI on bathing? There's, there are some things that are just part of doing business. And if you want to do business well and make good decisions from it, mm -hmm. the activity itself may not have direct ROI. But if you don't eat, you will, you will have consequences. Right? There will be consequences in your life. I, you know, I think that that's a big part of planning that's often overlooked. And so, you know, when I've sat in planning sessions for clients or for other jobs, there's this, you know, laser focus on the net new things we're going to do. And so here's the new campaign. Here's the new idea. Here's the new product. But that whole chunk of maintenance is missing from the planning. And that's where, Chris, to your point, things start to fall apart. And so the maintenance has to be part of your planning. The governance has to be part of your planning. I'll be the first to say, those are the least, for other people, not for me, those are the least fun parts of planning. But what I like about planning the maintenance and the governance is the predictability, the confidence that you can create with knowing here's what's going to happen. The scenarios that you could be prepared for of, if this thing happens over here, what are we going to do about it? Oh, and when the thing happens, we're ready for it. And so for me, that's why I like it. Maybe it's my OCD control freak to type A-ness. But I like that predictability of I know exactly what's going to happen. And when Google decides that they're going to change their website tracking system, we have a plan to address that so that we don't lose big chunks of data and that our data integrity that we've worked so hard to create and maintain doesn't suddenly take a nosedive. So the purpose of the case study that we were sharing was to demonstrate sort of that surface level of work that you can do just to start to get your data in better shape. So in this example, we worked with our client, we cleaned up their system, we gave them some tools to make sure they're tracking their data correctly, and we were able to clean up their unattributed data from 76.7% to 34.5%. Now for a company their size, that's a really big deal. Having less than 40% of their data unattributed is actually a really good thing because there's so many different people and campaigns and outside vendors and agencies that they don't necessarily have insight to and control over that that's a really good number for them. So that was our goal was to keep it under 40. And we've been able to keep it under 40% for the past three years. Yep. I mean, to extend the, the fitness analogy, this is essentially getting them a pair of decent running shoes, right? They still have to run. They still have to you know, do the hard work to make good decisions from their data, but they, they at least have the proper foundation to be able to do that, right? If you... Uh, if you have somebody who's wearing like Ronald McDonald clown shoes, it's going to be really hard for them to get a good, you know, three kilometer run in, in, in clown shoes. And while it's probably not the, the best analogy, it does illustrate that there are some foundational things you have to do and you may not be able to measure the ROI directly of it, but you for sure will not get any ROI if you don't do it. Well, and I, you know, it's funny because it's to your point, Chris, it's not that instantly tangible number, but you can see the impact of it when it's not being maintained and set up correctly. And so 
you know, what's the ROI of my email marketing campaign? Well, I don't know. I didn't have the foundation to track it correctly in the first place. Or there's a negative ROI or whatever the thing is because it's reliant on that base layer of a good foundation. Yep. Oh, or the other option is you could just lie, I suppose, and say well, <laughs> the sure, ROI is but... <laughs> but if you care about data, which presumably if you're listening to this podcast, you do, and you care about things like truth and mathematical accuracy, then then lying is not a good choice. Well, and if you're like me, lying is the kind of thing that literally will keep you up at night, even if it's a very small, tiny little <laughs> line. So it's just not, you are not physically able to do it. You would be a terrible politician. I'm okay with that. <laughs> so any other thoughts on this case study before we close it out? Um, so the, the overall goal of sharing the case study was to demonstrate the kind of work that Trust Insights is able to do for its clients, but also to demonstrate what you as the potential client is, you know, the things that you can do with your own system. So if you're shaky about the confidence in your data integrity, maybe start to look at your system, maybe start to look at your governance, maybe start to look at how many people are involved in bringing data into those systems. And so it gives you a starting place of the things to look at, what the problem is, if you're seeing a similar situation for yourselves. And if it's the kind of thing that you want help with, well, Trust Insights can help you with that. And that's sort of the other side of the coin is the case studies are meant to demonstrate, here are the things that we are capable of doing for our clients. Exactly. Yeah. If you're, you're, you're making a recipe and it's not turning out the way it looks on Pinterest, there's one or more things that may have gone wrong or the person on Pinterest was lying, one of the two, uh, but <laughs> probably <laughs> is an issue with the ingredients, the process, uh, possibly the chef and, and the equipment and whatever it is. Uh, if you'd like some help with that, we can, we can tell you, hey, you bought sand instead of flour to make the, the recipe. If you've got comments or questions or anything you want to talk about, about analytics and the cleanliness of your own data, pop on over to our free Slack group. Go to trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers, where you and over 2,200 other marketers uh, ask and answer each other's questions all day. And wherever it is you watch or listen to this show, if there's a challenge you prefer to catch it on, most of them are going to be over at trustinsights.ai slash TI podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. Need help making your marketing platforms, processes, and people work smarter? Visit trustinsights.ai today and learn how we can help you deliver more impact.